The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Week 7 is a hell of a week if you're a football fan because we have some excellent games on the docket this Sunday. Uh, We're talking Dolphins-Eagles, we're talking Lions-Ravens, we're talking Chiefs-Chargers, which really doesn't matter how good or bad either of those teams are. It's always going to be an absolutely bonkers game. Uh, We even have a game that I'm going to this Sunday to see live in person, Rams-Steelers over at SoFi. Uh, I can only imagine it's basically just going to be a Steeler home game. Knowing, knowing A, how Steelers fans travel, and B, what SoFi generally looks like. So uh, I assume that one's going to be very loud. I'll make sure to, to wear my Steelers gear to it so that I blend in, <laughs> fortunately for Rams fans. Um, but yeah, a lot of good stuff to talk about today. We have some fun kind of stats and analytics that we've been digging through. We've done a bunch of tape study uh, to prepare for this show. So hopefully we can provide the most complete deep dive into week seven as humanly possible. But before we get into it, EJ, my wonderful co-host, how you doing? What are you drinking? I'm excellent. Partially because of what I'm drinking, I've got a smoky Coke in a Walter Payton glass, which, come on, just doesn't get a lot better than that for a football podcast. And other than that, I'm looking forward to this weekend's football. We're pretty spoiled. We've got some great matchups this weekend, including some head-to-head assistant coach or, yeah, you know, coordinator matchups that are some of the best in the NFL. And we've had a couple of those each week for the last two or three weeks. And we've got another one, or I would say two, this week. And we're going to talk about those. Got good stuff to drink. Like, it's the middle of the week. Like, let's go. Well, I'm I'm trying to polish off my Angel's Envy uh, so that I have an oh. excuse to buy another one. So, uh, <laughs> which, by the way, if you've not had Angel's Envy, it's one of the very best bourbons that you could possibly get. Well, I don't know. I use the term bourbon loosely. Some people get yeah. very antsy about stuff yes, that they gets do. finished in port cast. And they're like, it's not real bourbon. It's real bourbon to me. Regardless. And it's delicious. It's, it's amazing. Oh, my God. So uh, I'm going to try to finish this off during the show today. But we're going to start coming out swinging. Dolphins, Eagles, first game on the docket. This is good on good. Some would say elite on elite. Um the Eagles certainly have had their shaky moments last week, of course, being the shakiest of shaky moments. And even the Dolphins have not been entirely flawless this season, uh, i.e. the Bills game. A little bit of a disaster for them, and we talked about it at the time 
everything that could have possibly went wrong went wrong in that game, and they ended up getting blown out by Buffalo. But um, on the whole, in terms of roster quality, in terms of coaching and quarterback and uh, everything that goes into making a championship caliber team, both of these teams got it. Both of these teams will be there in the end when we're in January fighting for Super Bowl berth. So this is about as good of a regular season matchup as you can possibly get. Not to mention, uh, in terms of the schematic matchup, I am extraordinarily fascinated to see what's going to happen here. Um, We'll start with uh, Dolphins offense versus Eagles defense, which is the highlight matchup of this one. And schematically, the reason why I'm so fascinated by it is because I want to see how the Eagles deal with all of this motion at the snap that the Dolphins have done so far this year and all all the conflicts they create uh, in a defense for how they sort out you know, all of a sudden, who's a new number one? Who's who's the new number two? Who's the new number three? And, and all the stuff they do to basically just force open space. I want to see how the Eagles deal with that because so far, uh, they have seen the seventh most dropbacks as a defense with motion at the snap in the NFL at about 41. Uh, Dolphins have the second most as an offense at 92. So again, they're <laughs> it's a significant jump this week. Um, I will say... It, the Eagles, on paper, have handled it sort of kind of decently well. Uh, they've allowed 73% completion percentage, but only about 6.2 yards per attempt against motion at the snap. They've allowed one touchdown, uh, no picks, two sacks. So not terrible, but also not like completely shutting it down. But considering what all this motion has done to other defenses, i.e. Denver, they are a collection of bodies on a football field, if, if we're just going to give a generous definition there. Um, but, uh, back to the the larger point of how are the Eagles going to handle this? I think the best game that we can study as a preview of this game is, uh, how they handled the Rams a couple weeks ago in week five, because the Rams are the only offense in the NFL that has used motion at the snap more than Miami. They've used it 93 times. Miami's used it 92. So again, they're Pretty much dead even, but technically more, right? Um, And so I went back and I looked at every single snap with motion at the snap in that game. Like, how did the Eagles sort it out? And they did a lot of what's called building a box. Uh, If they motioned into a three-man side or if there already was a three-man side, whether it's trips or bunch or something like that, uh, they would use all all manner of box coverages. If you don't know what a box coverage is, imagine three receivers in a bunch, right? And then they're all running their different routes. And then you have two defenders deep and two defenders underneath. You have a deep inside, a deep outside, a short outside, and a short inside. And you build a box, and it's basically the first route that breaks underneath and in, that point of the box takes it. The first route that breaks underneath and out, that point of the box takes it. Um, If there's two routes deep, again, those two points will handle whoever's breaking in, whoever's breaking out, or if there's only one deep, they'll just bracket it together. But you build a box around three and you get four over three so that no matter what, everybody, they're not just breaking into free space, right? Um, And so they would basically build a box every single time they used motion at the snap so that it was less about who's your guy and who's your guy and more so just about I'm going to take the first 
flash of jersey color that comes into my quadrant of this box, right? And that that typically worked out pretty well for them. Um, the Rams did get a, a really uh, a nifty touchdown on like a spacing concept down in the red zone where the space works out a little bit differently for box coverages. Um, Philly did call some fire zones into it in second and long situations. So that might be an indicator for Mike McDaniel of, um, of when they might, you know, be able to, to hit something hot or maybe get the screen game involved if they feel like a fire zone's coming in second and long because Philly likes to do that in second and long. But generally, again, it was about putting three over two or four over three, regardless of where the motion was, regardless of who was doing the motion, regardless of what they motioned into, it was always about just having numbers, right? Again, it, it works for limiting the bleeding. However, <laughs> for an offense like Miami's, if they're studying how the Rams then reacted to that approach, the Sean McVay really started to get a good feel of it about the second quarter of that game. And they were designing a bunch of concepts where it's like, hey, we know you're going to build a box. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to use clear outs, right? So we're going to take away the top two guys with like one receiver going deep. We're going to take away the inside point with like a shallow cross or a snag or something. We're going to hold him inside. And then we're just going to work that one point guy that's underneath and outside over and over again. We're going to run a return route at him. You know, we're going to square him up and run option routes. Like we're going to do whatever we can because we know he's going to be all by himself because that's how the box works. We know that if he's there, his responsibility is to take this guy. So we can give him whatever guy we want to. We can define that matchup for ourselves because he doesn't get to choose. We get to choose. So we're going to run Puka at him on a return. We're going to run Cooper Cup at him on an option route. I think Miami's going to do the same thing, except it's not going to be Puka. It's going to be Tyreek fucking Hill running a return route at some poor corner that's already outside leveraged and like doesn't have any help at all. That's what I think they're going to do. And they're going to do it again and again and again and again to try to make the Eagles do something else. And once the Eagles do do something else, that's when it gets fun. So uh, I'm fascinated by this matchup schematically because everything that I saw the Eagles do against the Rams, which technically worked sort of, there was also enough tape on it that made me think that McDaniel's going to come out and absolutely thrash it because enough tape is out there now and how they reacted to it. So uh, that's, that's my theory on this game is that whatever, whatever your overs are on Miami, take them. You know, I was building the underdog slip, and we always do one one player per game for underdog. Uh, I did Tyreek over 98 and a half receiving in this game, which sounds mm. super rich, but I every single time I watched what they did with Puka, I just substituted that look for Tyreek, and I was like, oh my God, he's about to eat them alive. So uh, it, EJ, all that being said, am I crazy? No. I and both of these coaches on both sides are smart enough to have looked at that tape. And if the Eagles try and build a box, like McDaniel's going to break his box. Like, yeah, that's what they're going to do. And if you do it in the way that you were describing with Tyree Kill, I was thinking about the same thing, but sort of reverting to concepts that they ran in Kansas City, right? Come on. If you get mm -hmm. Tyreek on high cross in man versus 
anybody, and I mean anybody, he showed that again last week. His burst is still elite. There are very few guys, very few players at all in the league, forget defenders, cornerbacks, whatever, that can keep with that. And if you get him running basically diagonally across the field with a corner that started even or outside leverage, forget it. There there was one rep in that game. I forgot to mention it. (laughs) This is honestly what made me immediately rush to putting Tyreek on the over. So beyond just doing the quarter (laughs) stuff, there was a couple snaps where um, they tried to build a box with cover three where instead of using uh, a linebacker to wall off the inside, they would drop down the safety to wall off the short and inside. Um, And they were essentially just running three Mabel sort of kind of like if I'm trying to describe it, like imagine three Mabel where the safety's coming down and then the linebacker, the other linebacker then has to turn Replace. and haul ass if number three goes deep. Yeah. Yeah. So they got two, two on a linebacker against three Mabel out of this last or two weeks ago. Yeah. If that's Tyreek, that's a touchdown. I'm sorry. It just is like, you're yeah. done. It's likely a touchdown on a corner. It's almost certainly a touchdown on a safety because we'll talk about it, but the Philly secondary is beat up as well. They're missing some guys. So this is going to test size motion rules and, you know, coverage swaps to the maximum. And McDaniel's smart enough to know that Desai is smart enough to know that this is coming. And so he's going to look at not only what the Rams did, but also he's going to look at what McDaniel's done in the past and the motion release points, which have been a big thing for how the Dolphins offense has worked and profited this year is releasing, you know, snapping the ball when one receiver is directly behind the other receiver. I bet we're going to see McDaniel vary that this week. In fact, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he came out and completed some motions and stopped early in the game just to mm. like just Mess to with throw the timing. Desi- yeah. Just to throw Desai some like what is he doing? He hasn't <laughs> done this all year. And then actually start breaking him a hair earlier because of the box coverage you were talking about. Now, the box coverage is set at the release of the snap, right? You at that point, that's when you're defining who's who. And you wait for them to go where they're going to go and then the appropriate guys kind of tag their guys and take them. And if you're saying, hey, you're going to have to set this while this second guy's in motion and he's most likely going to break immediately, you know, they're going to snap the ball right when he's behind the other receiver. We need to know basically at that point what our coverage rules are. And McDaniel starts snapping in a beat earlier, like three feet before they cross. Then what do you do? Because they're probably going to keep going, but they might not. And then you're going to start to see some real conflicts because who tagged who? And if you miss, the Dolphins offense has enough speed to pay it off at any position, not just receiver. Like their running backs are fast enough to pay it off. Both outside wide receivers are easily fast enough to pay it off. And if you goof, and I mean goof by a couple of steps, they can get a touchdown off of it. So it is going to stress design his ability to adjust and say, this is what they did. This is now what they're doing. We're going to see the in-game adjustments as well, the halftime adjustments, because McDaniel knows what they're going to try and do. And I guarantee he's got a beater or a breaker for all those things right now. And he cannot wait to pull it out of the box. Yeah. I mean, he, he already showed that he's got a few of them against Denver and because Denver did 
a, a similar approach. They're just not as good at it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well really. and they don't have the dudes. <laughs> and they don't have the dudes, you know. But, yeah. uh, like, I... Again, everything about the tape in this game points to, boy, Jalen's going to have to keep up, right? Um, and that brings us to the flip side of this one. Eagles offense versus Dolphins D. If, there's, if there is a way to beat the Dolphins, it's by just outscoring them because they're going to get theirs on offense. Um, the question that remains, though, is in an offensive system that is virtually the opposite of Miami. They are the lowest motion percentage in the league um, while still being top six in terms of EPA per play, but it's, it's a much more static system. Uh, you know, the, the only way I can really describe it is they're like ISO ball in basketball, right? Yep. It's, it's all about, Hey, just go win, go be better than, than everybody. AJ, you're AJ, go, go beat the shit out of that rookie corner. Um, Devonta, you're arguably one of, if not the best number two in the league. On most teams, you'd be at number one. Go be great. You know, hey, Jalen, you're you're throwing uh, uh, go balls down the boundary and hitting 80% of them. Please keep doing that because it's the only way we get chunk yards. Hey, oh, we're, we're in short yardage? Brotherly shove. The only unstoppable play in football. Like, so much of their system isn't about creating easy opportunities for yards. It's not about manufacturing space it's about just being uh in terms of talent better than every other team in the league and there's there's a lot of variance to that right because when you're on you're on like you can't be stopped if you're having one of those days but in a day like uh the jets game where they weren't on and they couldn't just out talent the jets it leads to the frustrating results that you see especially when you know one of your best players lane johnson goes out and then all of a sudden, you don't have a massive advantage at right tackle over pretty much every other edge you're going to face. All of a sudden, you don't have the talent advantage, and then you don't have the a way to scheme yourself out of not having a talent advantage. And so the question here is, can this completely opposite offense from Miami keep up with Miami? I'm not saying they can't, but it is a legitimate question. They need to make corrections. And they're aware of it. Jason Kelsey was really quick to give credit on New Heights to Salah and the Jets D, but he also quickly came back and said, the biggest thing for us to get better going forward is for us to execute, which is we did some beating of ourselves. They're they're well aware of that. And they understand that they need to execute better if they're going to beat really good teams, and certainly the Dolphins qualify. Hertz is going to have to play better. The offensive line knows it. They know they didn't give him enough time. Kelsey said as much. Driscoll's going to need some help. Stoutland's going to have some answers if Driscoll is the starter going into this game. Stoutland's, Jeff Stoutland, the OL coach for Philadelphia, is not a guy to repeat mistakes. Um, he's usually not even a guy to make mistakes. Um, he's not going to get whooped again because his right tackle went out. Um, he'll have some answers, but it'll be interesting to see what those answers are because Miami's got a lot of talent on the defensive line as well. You talked about A.J. Brown. He's going to have to continue to terrorize people. He's been terrorizing people. Might even be a little bit easier for him this week because Zayvon Howard is out uh, with a groin injury. He might be back. We don't know. But even if he is, it's tough to believe he's going to be 100%. And if he is out, if he does not go in this one, uh, it's Cam Smith time. And we both really like Cam Smith, but he's a rookie. And A.J. is just 
massacring yeah. people right now. So that's not fair. They're going to have to give him some help because otherwise, like, A.J. Brown could win it by himself right now. He's having those kinds of days, consistently over 100 yards, consistently a touchdown, big chunk plays that really move an offense. Those explosives go a long way towards increasing your chance of victory. So it'd be fascinating to see how they manage that, depending on their corner situation. Um Interested to see the Eagles' sort of faster run game with Swift and Gainwell against just the tree trunks that the Dolphins have in the middle. Siler, Davis, and Wilkins, those guys are not going to allow a lot of interior stuff. And, again, Philadelphia's really good at interior run concepts, but those three trees have been disrupting most of that. So how do we get that outside speed going? And you're going to see, you know, Phillips, Chubb, and Van Ginkle on edge-setting duty all day long. And they are going to have to. And if they do, if they if those three find success in setting the edge, it's going to go a long ways towards frustrating Philadelphia offensively. If they lose that edge, which is very likely with all the, you know, GT counter stuff that Philadelphia loves to run. And, you know, again, the athletes that are still on that offensive line, if they're unable to hold that edge. Philadelphia will will make some gains on the ground, and that will give Jalen a little bit more breathing space to hit those deeper shots to AJ and Devonta. Um, it'll be a fascinating back and forth. These are two really, you know, we talked about the first matchup of, you know, the Dolphins O being the sort of primary matchup. This this matchup is still like <laughs> whatever just below primary is A instead of A plus. Like it's still a really fun matchup. And it's not just about setting the edge against the run game. Um, it's about setting the edge against Jalen especially on third yeah. down, like how many third downs this year have we seen already where there's nothing open down the field somehow against this receiving core. Like, you know, there'll, there'll be good coverage down the field and Jalen's just buying time, buying time, buying time. And then there's contain until there's not contain, yeah. and he just breaks it. Like even if the edge thinks that they're wide enough, even if they think that they're deep enough, even if they think that the edge is set, Jalen will take three steps back and basically be like, I think I can, get to that spot before you can, even though you're technically in a good position, I'm just a better athlete than you. Like how many times have we seen that so far this year where he, he breaks contain that if you're just looking at it on film should work, but he's too good of an athlete to just kind of keep pinned in there. Um, if I would have to say that Van Ginkle, even if he doesn't get a sack in this game, even if he doesn't get a single pressure, just him, Keeping Jalen in the pocket is of utmost importance because the longer you can keep him in the pocket and just kind of keep him from escaping everybody else that's coming after him, uh, the better chance you're going to have at, at having similar results to what the Jets had, right? So uh, it's a it's a really fascinating game. If I had to pick a winner, I would pick Miami just because I think that I think overall their offense is really tough to keep up with and. We're recording this on a Wednesday, so I we don't know for sure, but like we're pretty sure that Lane's not going to play. Um, and I just, in the absence of of Lane Johnson, I I don't know if Philly can keep up with that. So I'm going to bet the over. Like I bet there's going to be a lot of points scored, <laughs> but ultimately I do think Miami's going to win. Uh, do you do you have a different opinion than that? No, I think it will be a close game no matter which way it goes. I I think there is a potential for it to be low scoring. I know that sounds not impossible sane. Yeah. Uh, 
both defenses could turn it up a notch. We saw Philadelphia's offense be stymied last week against the Jets. I do I don't really think that the Dolphins defense is at the caliber of the Jets defense because the Jets defense is amazing, especially on their defensive line. It is good. It is right there, but it's not as good. I could see the offenses stumble for a couple of reasons, but at the same time, I could see it being, you know, I don't even know what the over is. Let's see over 70, probably. I I would bet it's north of 55 at this yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, it's like I could see I could see the over being 60 and them hitting it. Like, because they're, you know, all it takes is a couple shots to AJ, good ball to Devonta, same thing on the other side, Hill and Waddle, long run from Moster where, you know, he breaks contained, hurts you know, on the other side is going to be frustrating the Dolphins keeping those drives alive. So it's very possible that we could see just a, a true, you know, good old Miami boat race. 53 and a half. That's lower than I thought. I mean, they're they're sort of inching towards what I was saying is eh, Philadelphia hasn't been that effective. We we mentioned that both in our recap and you at the top of this segment, like eh, they're, they're not exactly clicking. You know, they're hitting big plays and they're winning games, which is good, but they haven't just sort of all out everything to somebody yet and we've we've seen the dolphins do that already you know twice this year so um it it's going to be a fascinating game there's a lot of a lot of games within this particular game it's why we let off with it it's i think easily the premier game of the week one quick note and then we'll get right back to the show we're about a month away from the best football holiday of the year thanksgiving and it's never too early to plan on how you're going to do your turkey It's possible even that some of you listening have never done a whole turkey before, and that's totally okay. But if you want some inspiration and guidance for how to do a turkey the right way, our friends over at ButcherBox can help you out with that. They do have whole turkeys available for order, as well as a recipe page dedicated to how to do a great apple cider brine for the turkey, as well as how to roast it to perfection. So whether you're a turkey-making veteran or this is your first time ever, it's going to come out great. And ButcherBox, of course, has recipes for every other cut of meat that they offer as well. All of their beef is 100% grass-fed. They have free-range chicken and turkey, obviously, wild-caught seafood, and pork that's raised crate-free. Whatever cut of meat you can think of, they have it available to deliver right to your door in either custom or curated boxes. And if you do want to get one of those whole turkeys that I mentioned earlier for free, by the way, if you order anything from ButcherBox and use our promo code BOOTLEG to get literally any order before November 12th, You will also get an entire 10 to 14 pound turkey for free with that first box, plus $20 off your first order as well. Again, that is an entire Thanksgiving turkey for free, plus a $20 discount on the price of that first box, just by using promo code bootleg at butcherbox.com slash bootleg. Thank you again to ButcherBox for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Close behind it, though, in terms of uh, intrigue and excitement, Lions, Ravens. Uh, I I kind of was looking at this game over summer and saying it could be sneaky good. But I, at the time, thought it would be a sneaky good shootout. Hmm. I have since adjusted my opinion to think this is a sneaky good slobber knocker of a game. Like, because both these defenses are really good. You know, Lions, one of the best run defenses in the entire league. Ravens, uh, really whatever defensive category you want to bring up, they're good in. Um, In the red zone, I'm fascinated to see how the Lions run defense is going to clash with the Ravens run offense because if we know anything about the Ravens, 
even if it doesn't work, boy, they're sure going to try to run the ball in the red zone. Uh, I was tearing my hair out last week against Tennessee because they had 14 red zone runs and only four red zone passes, and they actually scored on one of the passes and then still kept running the ball and not letting Lamar do anything in the red zone. So I, if they are continuing to call their red zone offense that way, this is certainly a, a defense that they will be tested against because the Lions just don't really allow much movement on the ground anywhere, let alone in the red zone. Um, and then on top of that, you know, flipping around the other side, this this Ravens defense, which I'll, I'll get into the numbers in a little bit, but like this Ravens defense, even with, you know, some of the injuries that they've sustained, the aggression the consistency of their pass rush has been fantastic. Um, the variety of ways in which they've beaten some really good quarterbacks this year, like every single defensive game plan has been different every single week. Um, I, I truly think that in terms of well-coached defenses, this is one of the best coached defenses in the NFL. Like you almost wouldn't even know <laughs> that they've sustained some injuries. Like it's, it's actually pretty incredible the job that Mike McDonald's done, and and he should be very proud of this unit. They're a fantastic defense that is going to have to be uh, on their A game because the Lions are also a fantastic defense in their own right. If either of these teams cracks like twenty points, I might be surprised by that. I would probably be right there with you. This was the matchup that I was talking about in terms of coordinators this week. I think this is the talked about the last game being the premier game. I think this is the premier coach matchup of this week. Ben Johnson, Alliance, who's probably the top offensive coordinator in the league right now going against McDonald, who you talked about, who's got that Ravens defense playing like a bunch of demons. This is best on best. This is a clash of really good um, units on both sides of the ball in terms of talent, but in terms of talent and coaching meshing, I don't think there might be a better matchup this weekend. The Lions offense likely not going to have their favorite hammer handy in Montgomery. So Johnson's going to have to try and find or make cracks in that Ravens defensive front. That's a tough call for anybody, but there are only a few other run designers in the league. I would rather have take a shot at that. So it'll be interesting to see if he can. Marcus Williams, if he can't go for Baltimore, look for Johnson to try and hit can opener shots to Jameson Williams. Yes, that would be Williams on Williams violence. <laughs> Marcus versus Jameson, but... Jameson showed he's back on form last week with a big scene ball TD uh, and the replacement for Marcus Williams. And this is where there's a big letdown is Geno Stone and Geno Stone is not a good matchup for Jameson Williams. Geno Stone is a four, six, two guy. Jameson Williams, for those of you that don't remember, is a four, three guy. So you're talking about instant separation that Stone's not going to be able to make up. Uh, so they're going to have to find another answer for that. So it would be a really good matchup if Marcus was there because he is a great single high deep ball defender. Um, we don't know if he's going to be there. Amon Ra is going to eat for the Lions because he always does. Like he is that player that I've talked about. Superstars always win their matchups. He came back last week after an injury hiatus of a few weeks and just picked right up where he left off, whatever it was, 12 for 124 or whatever. I mean, he just, he is that guy. They're not going to be able to really cover him. They're going to have to try and limit him because again, he's not necessarily a big play guy. He is a volume guy, and he is a keep-the-chains-moving guy, and he is extremely good. He might be one of the very best in the NFL at that. 
But again, McDonald's going to know that if he keeps the cap over the top of that, it's probably not going to beat him, whereas two long balls to Jameson Williams for touchdowns might. So a thing to a thing to keep an eye on. And the Ravens defense has got to bring heat and try and make Goff respond quickly and predictably rather than letting him pick and choose because we've seen what happens when he picks and chooses. He picks right for the most part. And I think Kyle Hamilton is going to be a strong part of that blitz package. He's back in this week after getting ejected last week. Physical mismatch for Craig Reynolds if he's trying to stay into block. They've got to try and make Goff take hots, mm-hmm. right? Because he's not going to hit that many deep balls against blitzes. He can hit some, and that's the gamble you take. But generally, he's going to be hitting those check down balls. And again, McDonald will live all day with that. So I think we're going to see quite a bit of pressure. You're predicting quite a bit of man. Uh, it'll be a fun game to watch, I think, defensively. And again, we're going to see. It's not like Ben Johnson doesn't know that, right? He knows what Mike's going to try and do. So we'll see what he's got as a counter. And that's the that's the chess match that makes this endlessly fascinating. Yeah, you, you brought up Kyle Hamilton um, being a blitzer in this game. And I, I agree. Like, they have to blitz Goff. Like, they really do. Uh, if you look at unpressured Goff, like Goff with no pressure, uh, he is second in the NFL in passer rating with no pressure at 118.4. Only Tua is higher because the Dolphins are the Dolphins, right? Because Tua is Tua. But Goff uh, with no pressure in a clean pocket because his offensive line is so good. and they're Generally, they're going to handle a four-man rush really, really well. Uh 88% adjusted completion percentage, which takes out drops and it takes out... Um, you know, spikes and stuff like that. Uh, 88% adjusted completions. Yeah, he's missing one out of 10. It's insane. Like surgical. Nine touchdowns, only one pick. Uh, you just, you you cannot let him sit back there and pick you apart. When he is under pressure, he is 17th in passer rating. Out of all quarterbacks, again, every, everybody being equal under pressure, he is 17th in terms of efficiency against pressure. Uh, which makes sense because he's not super mobile. He can't really move and get out of it and, you know, get like second chance plays like some of the other more mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. So if you can kind of compress the offensive line and speed up his clock, knowing that he's not just going to spin out of it like a Jalen Hurts and you and you have a decent shot of actually finishing it for a sack, that is imperative. That should be the game plan. It's just pressure, pressure, pressure. Make him throw quick. Um I would also, uh, like like you mentioned, um, about me predicting man coverage, I feel like you can't sit there and play zone all day or else he will get it out too quick for the pressure to get there to begin with. Um, and if you're, if you're playing, if you're playing zone behind a blitz and you know, you're, you're bringing a nickel off the edge and the linebacker linebacker has to scream out there and go pick it up hot. Guess what? They're just going to run away from the leverage and he's going to throw hot behind it Ball's going to be out there before the nickel even gets there. You know, we'll take our five yards and move on. They'll just treat it like a run play. So if you are going to blitz, I, A, I wouldn't do it with a DB. Uh, other, like, or I wouldn't do it with uh, Millette, the, the nickel corner. I would do it with Kyle, right? Because uh, Kyle isn't just going to be locked in man on slot receivers. Like, Kyle actually is somebody who you could blitz through the A gaps. You could blitz through the B gaps. Like, you can kind of move him around. So I'm not blitzing with a true corner. I'm blitzing with linebackers and safeties. And then I am playing straight up man on these receivers behind it because I don't want to provide easy voids for Goff to throw into in half a second. 
So uh, all that to say, is there an opportunity that if they block it up and we're playing man coverage behind this pressure that we're getting a one-on-one with Jamison Williams down the boundary that we're not super comfortable with? Yeah, there's that potential. Um, is Amon Ra going to be one-on-one with Millette in the slot all day long and probably get eight or nine catches this game? Probably, but like yep. you said, if that's the price that we have to pay to still end three or four of these drives because we're getting a sack or we're getting them way behind the chains and then it's third and 11 and we just get off the field. I'm okay with giving Amon Ra nine catches for 90 yards in this game if it ends four drives and it takes away scoring opportunities. Because at that point, it means that the pressure isn't entirely on Lamar to go score for score all game long against a very good Lions defense. Like, you have to create negative plays. You have to get them off the field at midfield, not in the red zone. And I think the only way to do that is blitzing and playing an absolute metric shit ton of man coverage. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a technical term. It's an it's a apt measurement for probably what's <laughs> going to happen on that side of the ball. If we flip it over to the Ravens offense and the Lions defense, another really sharp matchup. I If we had to sort of give like team balance awards. I think the lions are better on offense and defense than the Ravens are on offense and defense. If we sort of add those aggregate scores up, Lamar's got to stay sharp. His receivers did a really good job of supporting him, catching the balls. He was on a heater to start the game versus the Titans last week. Um, But the lions rush game is a step up pressure wise, even from the Titans line, which is a very good line. They're excellent against the run. They're pretty good in, in pass rep, pressure but the lions are even better so the ravens are going to have to generate some rushing from their running backs not just lamar last week they only got 76 total yards out of gus and justice still combined if they can get gains on early downs first or second this is the ravens they'll have more of the playbook open up to them mm-hmm. they're going to try and do it <laughs> if they don't detroit's pass rush is just going to get hotter if they do not have to if they basically snuff the run and say you're not getting it that way. They can throw a spy on Lamar and play coverage and just rush. And you do not want this front just pinning their ears back and rushing because they're good at it. Aiden Hutchison is having a great year. That's that's not really what you want to see. Sneaky stuff for the Ravens. Throws to Andrews are key. The Lions are allowing the third highest reception average to tight ends in the league. Andrews is a very good tight end. This is one of the answers that they can use to move drives if they can't get that run game going. They can kind of substitute it with short shots, ins and outs, hitches, all kinds of stuff to Andrews, which he's very used to doing. And the Lions aren't great against it. Last week, Anzalone was excellent, and I would expect him to draw Andrews on some of those coverages. Not so sure that that matchup is as lopsided as the Ravens might like. And Zay's got his work cut out for him when he faces Cam Sutton. We need to say Cam Sutton's name. We've talked a lot about the Lions defense. We've talked a lot about the Lions offense, but Cam Sutton has been a revelation playing in Detroit. He has been awesome, extremely tough. Uh, He is leading the league in coverage snaps. He has the most coverage snaps in the entire league. You know who's second? Uh, Man, I'm trying to think of who else has faced a lot of pass. I don't know. Jerry Jacobs. 
Oh, on the same the team? The Lions corner. <laughs> yeah. So, so that means a lot of people throw against them because they a have to. A <laughs> people throw against the Lions. It's insane to see two corners from the same team beat, number one and number two, in pass coverage snaps, total pass coverage snaps. But Sutton's only allowed 20 catches in 281 coverage snaps this year. The fact that he's he already is. played 281, though, in six weeks is good Lord. Yeah, and only 20 catches. That's that's ridiculous. Sutton's been really good. And like Zay, I think will still win some, but he is going to have he's gonna have to pack a lunch. It's gonna be a long day. You know, I I I was thinking about this um when when we were kind of prepping for this episode. I remember going back to the Lions uh summer preview. And uh, we, we were talking about, hey, man, they got like five dudes in this secondary where it's like, what are you, a safety, a nickel, a corner? And it, the answer is yes. Like all these dudes, they can just play like three different spots. And I'm like, why do they have so many of the same type of guy? Well, it turns out with all their injuries, they ended up needing five of them. So that was probably a, a, a good foresight by them of like, let's not just have three corners and two safeties and one guy who play, let, let's just get a whole bunch of dudes who can play everything and we'll figure it out as we go. And it's worked. Credit to them. It's absolutely worked. Yeah, it's worked extremely well. I remember us having that discussion and thinking, okay, what, you know, Aaron Glenn's done something like, what's he, what's he going to do with this? And they have just, a, they've leaned on Sutton and he's been a rock. He's been a pillar in the same way that, and, and people are going to go crazy because they're going to think I'm comparing the two players. But in terms of like the role and the load they put on Sutton, it's the same as a guy like Pat Sertan in Denver. Like they count on him to just be a rock over there, cover the alpha, pretty much leave him alone and say, you're going to do your thing. And therefore the rest of our defense is going to work. That's what Detroit's doing with Sutton. In effect, you know, six weeks into the season, it's, one of the least talked about things on one of the best teams in the NFL. It's just a really fun game. Um, again, really hard to pick this one. If I, ha- oh God, man, do I, do I want to bet against Lamar? I feel like it's sacrilegious, sacrilegious to bet against Lamar in, in this type of game. Boy, I'll, uh. I'll go Ravens by like a hair, like the smallest of hairs, just because I feel like when it comes down to it, like for two relatively equal teams, like I think the Lions roster overall is is better. But in terms of who's who's a dynamic quarterback who could just do something that very few other humans can do that can make up for that and dig them out of holes that almost nobody else can dig you out of and just make a freaking play when you need it. Like if either of these teams won by larger than a field goal, I'd be surprised if either of these teams cracked 20 points, I would be surprised. This has like 18 to 16, like cage match written all over it. It's going to be immensely entertaining, but boy, it's hard to pick. You know what you're doing? Backing myself into a corner. (laughs) No, you're, you're betting on a kicker, and you are betting on Tucker. That, that's the one you is, bet on, though. <laughs> if you're going to bet on a kicker is is the good one to bet on. I, Lamar, if you're going to bet against him, has been more high variance, and he needs a little bit more help. He got help from the wide receivers last week or all receivers in the passing game, which he really needed, but where he didn't get help was from Todd Monken in the deep red zone. 
Like you and I talked about this in the recap episode that we really were disappointed with Baltimore's play calling inside like the 15, mm-hmm. like especially inside the 10. There wasn't a lot of creativity there. They ran into the middle a bunch. When you've got a guy that's as dynamic as Lamar, as hard to cover, really a true sort of triple threat if you run it the right way. I'm thinking about all the PRO stuff that Shane Steichen was doing with Anthony Richardson, which is, yes, look for the quick pass first. If that doesn't work, still have the run option of I can hand it off or I can take it because I'm freaking Lamar Jackson. Like, and we just don't see that. We see like, you know, it wasn't exactly sprint right option, but it was like roll out. Oh, those two guys are covered. Oh, I, I guess we're done. I'm yeah. going to throw it at somebody's feet. That's just not enough when you have somebody that dynamic. There's, there's, they're leaving meat on the bone there. So if he gets that support, I could see them winning this game. Overall, I think, yeah, the Lions are more balanced, but the the Lions' crux is how Jared Goff handles the pressure because he's certainly going to see it. And if he can hit a couple of those big throws under pressure, which, look, he's a tough guy. He will stand in and do it, but he's got to do it. If he hits those, especially big balls to Jameson, like, okay. Like, I could see the Lions squeaking it out, but I'm with you. It's probably going to be close. The defenses are going to wreck shop for most of it, and we're going to have to see which offense makes a handful of more plays. I hedged my bet heavily on the underdog slip because uh, when, okay. when I had to pick a name out of this one, of like, who am I going to throw on the slip? Again, sure. still think the Ravens are going to barely, barely win this, but I did take higher for golf on 241 and a half passing, which is a low number, but it's also very respectful for what the Ravens defense is capable of. The Ravens, of. yeah. The reason why I did over 241 and a half is in the back of my head, I was like, what if they don't play man coverage? Like, what if they do do a lot of like the quarter stuff that they've done in, in a lot of the other games? It's like, what happened if they what happens if they come out in the first half and they try to make quarters work? And in my head, I was like, okay, well, then Jared's going to eat, right? Because uh, nobody calls quarters against Jared Goff. Like, it's people have barely even tried it this year. Shouldn't. He, have, he has 20 yeah. dropbacks against quarters the entire season. Like, I, I first set the, when I was, like, going through, like, oh, what, what did you do against quarters? And I did, oh, minimum dropbacks, 25. I was like, because that kind of eliminates, oh, receivers throwing passes or, or backup quarterbacks, whatever. And then the Lions didn't show up. I was like, what do you mean the Lions don't? And so I took off the filter and was like, he has 20 snaps against quarters the entire year. Like, nobody calls it. And I was like, okay, well, let me go through every single snap against quarters and see why. And, and that took three minutes. <laughs> like, oh, it was very illuminating. Like, Tampa called it on three third downs last week, and he hit a first down on literally all of them. And I was like, oh, that's why you don't call quarters against the Lions, because they will absolutely fucking annihilate you. So I went over on 241 and a half on the off chance that the Ravens try that first and, you know, touch the touch the fire to see if it still burns. Um, but I imagine that at some point, eventually they're just going to go man heavy and and give up on the zone stuff. Yeah, it's going to force him him being golf to make those quicker decisions. And he's good at making those quicker decisions. But you said five yard gain, treat it like a run play and keep the drive going. Ravens will take that. If that's the extent of what Goff does and he has to do that to do that, to keep those drives going, that's that frustration-based defense that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago that you're making a quarterback do what he doesn't necessarily want to do. Like Goff wants to stand back there and sling it and hit his guys in the open spots that Ben Johnson's making for him. But if you've got 
you know, Kyle Hamilton screaming off the edge in his face. I've got to take the guy that's five yards away because he's open and his numbers are showing. They'll take that all day. It is a high risk, high reward proposition as blitzing always is. But I think they like their odds better than that than any other way. Yeah, it's die fast versus die slow. <laughs> Which one would you rather have? Yeah. All right. Next game on the docket. Again, I'll be at this one uh, at SoFi Stadium. Again, second game at SoFi in six days. Uh, it helps to live in L.A. now. Uh, I know it looks like I'm coming to you from the surface of the sun because this camera is not equipped to handle light sun <laughs> sun at all. But uh, no, I am in L.A. I'm only about uh, 20 minutes away from SoFi. So I'm going to be down there at the game with a whole bunch of other Steelers fans that are in the area. And I have heard over and over and over again that it's going to be loud for Matt Stafford in there. Uh, and yeah. it's which shouldn't surprise anybody, but even even by, you know, uh, Steelers road fans traveling standards, I have I have heard that it's basically just going to be yellow in that stadium. So it's going to be a road game at home for the Rams, as unfortunate as that is for them. It's going to be a tough one. I know the Steelers have a bunch of problems themselves, and we'll get into that. But uh, <laughs> first order of business for the Rams is to make sure that their silent count operation is good because they absolutely will need it. <laughs> yeah, you said it's going to be yellow. I was like, it probably will be because the Rams are yellow too, which reminds me of the, the Rams-Bills game we went to where it was a sea of blue because everybody was wearing some variation of blue. And it was kind of hard to pull bills from Rams fans. We did it by about halftime, and it was, yeah, almost 50% Bills fans at that point. Which so was insane, by the way, because the Rams were dropping the Super Bowl banner that day, and it was still 50% Bills. We're like, what the hell's going on here? I had a friend kind of come off against, you know, he was talking about the Chargers, but uh, really it's the Chargers and the Rams because they share SoFi. And then the Raiders, right? And the Raiders playing in Allegiant and everybody, you know, every opposing fan going, oh, what game am I going to circle if I live in the Northeast and it's starting to get crappy? Oh, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to Southern California. Like, I want to go where it's sunny and, and be in a new stadium and hang out. So those teams, those three teams, the Raiders, the Rams, and the Chargers tend to have this situation where there are a high percentage of traveling fans. And I'm like, yeah, because it's a really good road game to go to. It makes sense. And they were saying, oh, they shouldn't have that or they should, you know, they should be upset by that. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of I think it's really cool to have these destination games in new stadiums. Look, I've been to both SoFi and Allegiant. They're both palaces. They're amazing places to see a football game. Um, I was a little jealous because you were at SoFi the other night and it was pissing down rain here. It was Monday. And it had just been raining all day long. And they show this nice like drone shot over SoFi with like sunset <laughs> over the mountains. And I was like, okay, that looks pretty good. Like if I could go to a game there right now, I would. I don't think it's a bad thing for the NFL. And I understand it's not great for the Chargers or the Rams or the Raiders at certain times to look up into the stadium or have to go to their silent count on their home field. But it is good for the fan experience. Right. That's it. Those are fun places to travel. And, and lots of teams do because they're beautiful stadiums. They're great locales. They're easy to get to. And, you know, they're really enjoyable places to watch a game. So I'm like, yeah, but is it really that bad? I think it's kind of cool. I I do immensely enjoy going to SoFi when the Rams are good. 
and when the games are competitive. And so far this year, the Rams are good yeah. and competitive. So that's a bonus. You know, I went to a couple Rams games last year. I was like, well, you know, after everybody got hurt and I'm like, this, <laughs> this ain't fun. This is, <laughs> you know, but, this is not happy. But this year, like they're a genuinely fun team to watch. Like, I think the Rams are going to win this game like up front. I do think the Rams are going to win this game. Um, I think their young talent is super exciting. Not just Puka, but like their young talent on defense has been exciting. Like Byron Young uh, in the first third of the season was, it was highly productive coming off the edge. Um, Stafford is playing at an unreal Out of level. His mind. Oh my God, he's yeah. been incredible. AD is still AD. Shocker, I know. Cooper Cup came off injury and immediately looked like Cooper Cup. Like the Rams are good. They're really, really good. So even though, again, they're gonna they're gonna have to silent count this thing, I still would give the Rams an edge in this one just because of 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 how shockingly complete a team they are, considering all the youth that they've got. On the flip side, do you want to talk about the good part of the Steelers first or the bad part of the Steelers first? Oh man. I let let's let's just rip the bandaid off and and talk about the Matt Canada offense because I know a lot of Steelers fans are listening to this specifically for us to talk about not just that it's bad but why it's bad and yeah it's it's not it's not good for multiple reasons um and this is I you know I think that the Rams are gonna have a lot of answers for what Canada has been throwing up on offense. And I think they're, they're going to sell out really early to snuff out any threat of a run game, which hasn't been very threatening by the way, the Pittsburgh run game has been anemic at best and not very efficient. They've leaned into it a little bit, but in terms of efficiency for the number of plays they've thrown up there, it is not good. And it has been the you know NFL version of banging your head against a wall. I think the Rams are going to sell out really quickly to make sure that they say, nope, that's not working at all. We're going to force the ball into Pickett's hands. And then we're going to light him up with this young defensive line. Because like you said, AD is AD. Byron Young flashed his potential with a really nice speed rush, which is why they got him around the edge last week. Kobe's been cleaning up stuff that those guys have been creating. I think they want the ball in Pickett's hands, and they being the Rams. So they're going to make sure that the run is not an option, or if it is, that you're getting like 1.8 yards a carry, <laughs> which, you know, is literally only half. <laughs> Actually, it's more than half of what the, what the Steelers have been Yeah, that's only like so. a slightly below average day for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if they're going to continue to bang, and again, they'll take that. Like if, this, if Canada's not going to adjust and he's going to continue to run for two yards a carry, like Rams will take that all day long and they'll probably win the game. So... They're going to, you know, sort of slam the door shut on the run, put the ball in Kenny's hands, and then they're going to light him up with a bunch of pressure because pressured picket is not the same as unpressured picket. Unpressured picket, a little bit better. It's not the same difference between Jared Goff. He's a little bit better unpressured, but they're not going to sit back and play coverage, I don't think. I think they're going to pressure him because he will make mistakes, and he's shown that, and they would like to capitalize, and their young defense has been capitalizing on mistakes, so they're going to try and force those mistakes first by shutting down the run and sort of taking away that safety blanket and then by lighting him up, heating him up on the pass because last year, and this is a weird thing, last year at the end of the year, Pickett was really good against pressure. 
he was almost better against pressure than he was unpressured. He had a, and that was one reason that the Steelers faithful got really hopeful. They're like, this guy can handle the rush. This guy knows what to do. He's pulling the right lever. This year, he's reverted, and he's not as good against pressure, and he's making worse decisions, and the results have been bad. So the Steelers' offense has been pretty feeble. The Rams' young defense, which we thought was going to have growing pains until at least midseason, has shown surprising and remarkable competence early. It's been keeping them in games. And I think they're going to force the issue. This is not a, oh, we're going to sort of sit back and play soft and try and hide our weaknesses. This is, we're going to try and force some things from a unit on the other side that doesn't have as many strengths, really, we think as we do. Let's go. Let's leverage this advantage. So I think that's how that half the game is going to go. How do you see that matchup stacking up? My thing with Canada is, you know, when I, when I and I'm, I'm working on a, a full film room episode on this, um, but I wanted to go to the game live first and and see that and then release it next week. The thing with Canada is there's so many there's so many things that on paper that he does that are not inherently bad, but it's the way that the Steelers do them <laughs> that is dated or archaic or it just doesn't make sense, right? Um, and I'll give you an example. Like this is a team that runs. Uh, you know, hitches, curls, comebacks, stuff where there's not like a lateral stretch going on and, and kind of moving linebackers around to create passing windows and, um, you know, all all of the stuff that, say, uh, McDaniel, McVay, Shanahan, all, all like the West Coast coaches that they do to basically move linebackers out of the way to clear the middle of the field. They don't really do that. A lot of their short and intermediate routes are turn around, present your numbers to the quarterback, be an easy target. Like we are creating space through having receivers sit in certain spots, not creating space through having them run through certain spots. And so, you know, they always talk about how they want to be a good yards after catch team. And they are like they they're, theoretically, again, theoretically, they are a good <laughs> yak team. You know, they're averaging uh, 5.6 yards after catch per reception. That's top five in the NFL. Okay, that's the same as Kansas City, a great yak team. Uh, they're only slightly behind the Texans and 49ers, who are two very good yak teams. Miami's obviously at 7.2 because, again, they're Miami. They're their own thing. They're a freaking island this year. But on a, on a per-catch basis, the Steelers are a good yak team. They have guys that are good after the catch. The problem is the way their offense is designed, it doesn't really give them the volume of opportunities to be good after the catch that the other teams are getting because they're not moving linebackers out of the way through horizontal stretches. And, you know, the, the closest they'll get to it is like running mesh five times a game, but that like, that's about it. Right. Um, and so they only have 99 catches with their, with their receiving core in the first five weeks compared to the top teams that are at like 140. you know? So, in terms of a per catch basis, yeah, they're top five, but their total yak is still very low and their drive success rate is still very low because they're not actually scheming up space to give these guys the ball. And so I go back to the the, the hitches, curls, and comebacks, the actual routes they're calling, that in itself is also kind of a problem 
but not for the reason that you think. It's actually not a bad thing that you're calling hitches, curls, and comebacks as much as they are because the Rams call it even more than they do. You know, they've called 108 of those routes. The Rams have called a 117, but the Rams do it in a different way to create horizontal stretches. They're using motion, specifically motion at the snap. I should clarify that. Um, Canada will use motion, but it's like motion and then everybody's static again. Whereas the Rams use motion at the snap to, again, kind of force the defense into these, we're building a three over two, we're building a four over three. Um, you know, we are we are using motion to spread guys out because we know they have to spread out and then having one guy sit in the void underneath, right? They're creating these horizontal stretches because they know how you're going to react to motion at the snap and they know exactly where to put a receiver on a curl route to be wide open. And then, of course, all Puka then has to do is turn up the field and get another five yards. So it's really frustrating because on paper, Calling these routes is not bad. The Rams do it too, but the Rams are a lot better at it. On paper, calling motion isn't bad. It's just the way that they're doing it because they're not doing it in a quote-unquote modern way. Having yak is good, but they're not scheming up ways to give their guys yak opportunities. And what this all equals is a relatively archaic passing game that is built to beat spot drop zone It is not built to beat match zone. And you know how many teams rely on spot drop zone in the NFL these days? Fucking zero. So if this offense was was going against a defense from like 2000, yeah, you'd probably be fine. They're not. They're going against 2023 defenses. Everybody's running match quarters. Everybody's running match three. There's no space. You have to create space. And Matt Canada does not create space. That is why this won't work. And he doesn't run enough things in combination. Again, you said he runs lots of good concepts and you see, uh, you know, and I'll say good individual concepts. There are lots of calls he makes where whichever concept he was looking for, whether it's a route to the tight end, which I would say there probably aren't enough of considering they have Firemouth or routes to certain wide receivers. That's cool, but it's not built in concert with the rest of the calls, the rest of the offense, the rest of the players, the rest of the game plan. There's no setting up. It's very simplistic in the fact that it is one thing for one thing. Mm -hmm. And if you look at any of the other offenses around the NFL that are really successful, there are multiple things on every play on multiple levels in terms of sets, in terms of motion, in terms of moving players, in terms of setting players up for things that are going to come later or they hope to come later. Like, you get none of that sense with Canada, like zero. It's just frustrating because yes. And there was, <laughs> there's a stat that I found about this week that I, I'm 99% sure it's true. I de- I want to go back and double check it one more time <laughs> to make sure I didn't miss something. Cause I did check okay. it last night and I was like, it can't be right. So I'm going to go back and check it again. But from my preliminary research, uh, based on this stat that I heard, the Steelers in the Matt Canada at OC era have still not had a 400-yard game. Like, ever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you at first. That seems shocking, and then you're like, but have they? <laughs> like, when uh, like, was that? How do you when not I- accidentally get 400 yards? 
I look, dude, I'm a Bears fan. How do you not accidentally throw for 4,000? Bro, they Bears just had one two weeks ago. <laughs> like, yeah, but bro, they've never had a quarterback throw for 4,000 ever in their history. And people are like, that's not a real stat. And you're like, yeah, no, it is. It's true. Uh, the, the one that was, not to get too sidetracked, uh, the NFL stat that really blew my mind the most was that Jim Harbaugh has more rushing yards than Bo Jackson. I swear to God. Okay, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh that, has more rushing yards than Bo Jackson. That's odd. Okay, I'll give you that. That's brain breaking. <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll look up the exact numbers. And while I do, I'll, I'll let you give your piece on the Rams offense for Steelers defense. Huge test for the Rams and the, you know, obviously rejuvenated Stafford. We've talked about him throwing darts all year long. He is challenging everybody. He has not let up one bit. Um, but I say it's a huge challenge because the pit defense is legit. It is unforgiving. The Rams are going to have to hang tough pit hits early and often. They are extremely physical. That is a hallmark. It is going to continue if they hit Stafford. I know I've said this for three weeks in a row. Obviously, the Rams pass game. Not probably going to be as efficient later in the game, but we'll see how that goes. They've got a banged up offensive line and a third string running back. They're going to have to try and dent the pit front seven on the ground to make some clean pockets for Stafford. It's a tall order versus Pittsburgh. Uh, They're not typically going to give up much of anything. Their defense is amazing. I think McVay and Stafford are going to challenge coverage from Wallace everywhere and Peterson deep. Uh, Patrick Peterson's already given up Two touchdowns of 20-plus yards, target depth, one on a fade, Dayuk, and the other on a bench route to Nico Collins. Both of them were impressed man. I think if Stafford sees Peterson impressed man, he's going to start licking his lips. He's oh, yeah. If they have a deep route dialed up there, because Peterson is a very good corner in short to medium still, uh, he does not have the legs anymore to stretch it down the field. So if you get one of the faster outside Rams receivers on Peterson, Stafford, might even check to something where he can get that receiver deep because he wants to take that shot. He'll probably hit it this year. So the Steelers D on the other hand, they're going to have to look to force the issue. If they sit back, they know Stafford's going to carve them up. Stafford might carve them up anyways, but it's kind of like the golf thing. If you sit back, he will absolutely kill you. Pretty interesting. I thought saw a thing that said it worked out for both teams. The two highest rated quarterbacks in the NFC this year are golf and Stafford. Yeah, it's a, it's a rare trade that everybody's totally good with. <laughs> Every, everybody's everybody totally wins. Fine. Uh, the Steelers defense, this one fascinates me. Speaking of game within the game, this is like a microcosm of game within a game. They'll be facing their old teammate and Kevin Dotson at guard who got traded to the Rams and has brought some extra juice since he got there. I'm just fascinated to see what used to be a daily practice battle play out on Sunday when it counts. These guys know each other. They played against each other for a couple of years. And you know they had their go-to moves when, you know, the defense needed to win and they didn't want to do push-ups, right? And now that counts and you can hit the quarterback. He doesn't have a red jersey on. So gonna be gonna be one of those really interesting sort of how's Dotson hold up against his old mates on the inside. And he's gonna need to. The Rams need that to be a real thing because if they don't and this defense starts stacking up hits. It's going to be a long day for the Rams offense. It, they can be extreme. They are extremely disruptive as a unit. Uh, I do think that uh, Dotson may have taken Noteboom's job because uh, before Noteboom got hurt, yep. he allowed 14 pressures on 154 pass block snaps. Dotson's only allowed three on 118. So from a pass blocking efficiency standpoint, Dotson's the only guy on that offensive line other than arguably Havenstein to be an efficient pass blocker. 
Um, Coleman Shelton, their center, has allowed more pressures than any other center in the NFL so far this year at 17. Steve Avila had some flashes of dominance, put some really good reps on tape, but again, he's a rookie uh, who is has looked like a rookie. You know, he's been up and down, allowed also 17 pressures and two sacks. Alaric Jackson, he's been okay at left tackle, but still inconsistent. 15 pressures himself, even though no sacks yet. And then Havenstein, again, uh, somewhat solid at right tackle uh, for the most part. Did give up a sack, but only 12 pressures through six weeks isn't like the worst. So, um, so far, Dotson is the rock of that offensive line. Noteboom was not beforehand. So even when Noteboom gets healthy, I still feel like they might just roll with Dotson. Um, also, stat check on the Bo Jackson versus Jim Harbaugh. So, Bo. Oh, man. Keep in mind, four seasons, right? Yeah, yeah. 2,782 rushing yards. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh, 2,787. The man's got wheels, EJ, in like no, the man's 14 got years. years. <laughs> I was going to say, how many seasons? 14? It's like yeah, 13, 14, more. something like that. Yeah, one of the greatest robberies for NFL fans of all time was Bo Jackson's hip injury. Like, I, he was so incredibly dominant as an athlete. I mean, folks of my age remember him being like completely unstoppable in Tecmo, but uh, on the field, watching him do things whether it's baseball field or football field just unreal like you talk about tall tale type stuff just Mm -hmm. you know urban legend type stuff and people like nah that wasn't real and you're like well you have tape of some of it so yeah it was yeah the the 419 or whatever he ran he's one of the only humans i've ever seen tape of where i'm like maybe like that might be true it's possible. Pretty damn close. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty damn close. The baseball uh, one that gets me is his right field throw where he double clutches. The guy rounds oh, first yeah. and Just he double clutches. It. And then he's like, oh, really? You think? And he nails him after double clutching from right field. You're like, what? That's not possible. Yep. Sure was. It's like a Vlad senior arm, but yep. with 4-2 speed. Well, conservatively 4-2 speed. Yeah. Also, uh, Dion's Dion's inside the park home run. Fun fact: Bo Jackson was the one who missed the catch. Yep. So you had all pro corner hitting to all pro caliber running back who missed the catch. Then he got an inside home run and then inside the park home run. And then I think they both played in NFL games later that week, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was a different era. In terms Very of different era. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Um, I will say so for the underdog. Uh, slip I did again we're totally cool with overs when it comes to all pro receivers so I did over 98 and a half receiving for Cooper Cup in this one Uh, which considering Mm. how much pressure Stafford will likely be under you might be saying why Brett why would you do that looking at the coverage structures that the Steelers have behind said pass rush they are uh, Gus Bradley on steroids (laughs) <laughs> cover three That's an apt apt description it's it's almost hilarious how much middle field close structures they use so cover three or cover one we'll just combine them middle field close 70 percent on first down highest in the nfl it's you know what you're getting when you walk up and line up against them they are going to be single high safety minkas back there uh second down still 60 percent middle field close so cover three plus 
cover one plus three seam plus one double. Like every version of middle field close coverage is 60%. It's a fucking lot. Uh, then on third down, they only drop down to 10th in cover three on third down. But they sprinkle in a lot, uh, a lot more man. They're at 34% cover one, which is the seventh highest. If you break it down by down and distance specifically on third down, and boy, we expect the Rams to be in third down a lot on this one. So if it's uh, third and seven plus, that's when Tomlin's finally like, all right, I'm going to go to my Tampa roots and call Tampa two here. They call that 40% of the time on third and seven plus. That's the highest percentage in the league for Tampa two on third and long. Uh, and then in the inverse of that, third and short and third and medium, nah, we're just going to keep calling man coverage. About 38%, uh, again, one of the highest in the league. So you know what they're going to be in. It yeah. just depends on down and distance. Like the numbers are hilariously skewed. Like they are not a Ravens defense that calls a little bit of everything. Yep. They are going to call man if it's short or medium, and they're going to call cover two if it's third and long, and that's about it. And they'll sprinkle in cover three, too, depending on how they want to play the run. I have to assume McVay's going to plan accordingly. I have to assume that McVay knows on third and five is going to be man coverage. Who eats man coverage? Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup. So 98 and a half seems totally cool with me. Uh, I just, I'm hoping for like one explosive on a deep cross to kind of get me over the hump. But he's going to get the looks for it. And this team refuses to play Joey Porter Jr. for whatever reason that I have yet to figure out because I have to imagine he can run with those deep balls down the boundary a lot better than Pat Pete can. Uh, but he's typical Steelers, not going to play rookies even when they're really talented. So you know what? As long as they're going to do that and they're going to give Cup better matchups, I will take that, EJ. All right, you're going to bet Cup. And if he gets one on top of Patrick Peterson down the boundary, you're going to get a big chunk of that, you know, anywhere between 25 to you know, 45 of that in, in one throw. And it's very possible. And maybe this, maybe this is the week that levers them into, you know, we did buy the rookie in the draft. Perhaps we should use him. Eventually. 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 It's the Steelers. They don't play rookies. I get it. It's true. All right. Fourth game on the docket. Chargers Chiefs. Oh man. That was a, that was a tough one to be at on Monday. Um, because I I felt like I was just consistently screaming from the stands. Too much space. Like, they lined up in pretty much the same structure all game long. It was the two high stuff, so they were doing quarter, quarter, half, and half, quarter, quarter, and quarters. They were doing all the normal Chargers, too high defensive stuff. But they do it so, so soft. And I don't mean soft as, like, they're not tough. I mean soft as in they give space. And they were just giving free access to C.D. Lamb all day long. Very similar to how Arizona played against Cincy, where they were giving Jamar Chase free access all day long. And and their mindset is, we're going to stay on top of it, and we're going we're gonna to T-step, and we're going to drive on it, and we're going to meet C.D. at the ball. And I'm like, first of all, you don't got the corners to do that. Second of all, C.D. is so quick and so fluid that you're, you're – your T-step's going to be late, if we're being honest. Like, you're not going to have the reaction time to meet him at the ball if you're not disrupting him, if you're just giving him free access, if you're lined up eight yards off of him and say, oh, I'm going to match C.D. Lamb in space and drive on this slant before you can get to it. No, you're not. And <laughs> but they are were you, though? <laughs> they were playing it so freaking soft. And so it was just slants and 
it was like little curl routes because they were just waiting for the corner to bail and then then they would just shut it down and ball would be right there. I can't tell you how many third downs they converted just because the DBs were given so much space. And it's I'm not I'm not saying that the DBs are bad, but I'm saying like that's what they're coached to do and that's they don't have the skill set to play that way. This is not Cleveland where you got a bunch of freakazoids out there that can drive on the ball that quickly. And and Cleveland can play off and and still meet the receiver at the ball. This secondary can't do that. And they kept insisting on doing that. And they paid the price for it over and over and over again. They stopped the run. They got to Dak. The front seven did their job. The secondary was just not put in a good position to win the game. And my worry here is you're going up against Kansas City with Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice and all these other great yards after catch threats. Again, they're top five in the NFL in yards after catch per reception. And if you're going into that matchup with the same mentality of, oh, we're going to we're gonna give space and then rally and tackle. Against the Chiefs? Like, probably not. So, like, my, my hope for the Chargers this week is that they play some press coverage, that they restrict space, that they force all these throws to go into tight windows, and that they stop giving easy completions because these easy completions are just freaking killing them, and it's driving me insane. Death by a thousand cuts, and they certainly died from it. And this is what we talk about when we talk about we just talked about Pittsburgh, so we'll use them as an example. That's the dudes defense. We've got dudes. We're going to play very simple coverages that we are not going to try and disguise to you at all. You're going to know. Like, we'll give you our tape. It's fine. Like, we're going to tell you where we'll be, and we'll just meet you there, right? We've got dudes. We've got Minka. We're, we're willing to play that style of defense. We talked about other teams farther up. And it's coaches putting players in positions to succeed. And again, if you are going to be rigid as a coach and say, this is our style, regardless of our roster or changes to that roster because of injuries or because of guys moving on or whatever else. And you're going to say, no, no, this is our style. This is the way we play, regardless of who you've got in the room. That's not good coaching. And again, the front seven were getting home. They stopped the run. The Chargers can finally stop the run. Something to celebrate, Bolts fans. But the secondary, they got left to, you know, left out to dry. And if they do it again, they're going to suffer. Chiefs offense, ground game's been very secondary this year. <laughs> yes, they've averaged over 100 yards per game, but Mahomes is their second leading total rusher. Not ideal. They need to get some production out of the running backs. They've only got four rushing TDs on the season. And the Chargers run defense, we just talked about it, is good enough to keep them in that box. And I'm like, sweet. But then we're back to our very same old issues. What do we do about Travis Kelsey? If we stop the run, what's going to happen next? He's going to throw it to Travis Kelsey. What do you got for him? Soft coverage, not the answer. Normally, it's Derwin's job, right? That's the whole reason they got Derwin James was we want to have a chess piece that we can put up against the Travis Kelseys of the world because we're going to have to compete against them pretty often. But the Chiefs are going to make sure that responsibility moves and they're going to do damage. They're smart enough not to line up Travis to the point where, you know, and they're, the Chargers aren't going to assign Derwin, you know, jersey number to jersey number. They don't do that. So they're going to move Travis around. And when they do, they're going to do damage. So, again, how are you going to switch up your secondary play? Because you know this is coming. You, you're pretty sure you can bottle up their run. That's great. What are they going to do next? They're going to pivot to Travis. 
what do you got? And if you try and do the same thing you did against the Cowboys, big threats against the Chiefs, you're going to get eaten alive. Like Mahomes is better than Dak typically at that stuff. And, he, you know, he adds some extra dimensions of threats of off script stuff that Dak is okay at, but Mahomes is otherworldly at. Like, you're not setting yourself up for success. And I feel like the Chargers do that a lot um, on both sides of the ball, but especially with the secondary. If they try it against the Chiefs, they're going to get filleted. It's not going to be pretty. On the other side of the ball, the Chiefs secondary, meanwhile, super mm. aggressive, great in man coverage. You know, Spags lets them be great in man coverage. You know, and it's, it's a very man-heavy defense. Like, if we're looking at um, third and long, they play at the exact opposite of Pittsburgh. Like, they don't, they don't just call Tampa 2, which is funny because – going back into the past years of the Chiefs, like they were the poster child of we're going to call cover two all day. They don't do that yeah. in third and long anymore because they got the DBs where they, they don't need to. Yeah. Uh, so they call man 43% of the time between cover one and cover five, which cover five is just a terminology for two man if you speak Sabanese. Um, like they don't want to give up easy completions on third down. They don't want to risk you creating all these stretches against cover two and then hitting a window. And especially with Herbert's arm, he can hit any window. So no, they're going to call man. They're going to make it challenging. They're going to make you, you know, make tough throws against really good corners. Um, they do the same thing on, on second down, very man heavy on second down. Really the only time that they play zone consistently is on first down. Um, you know, they, they only drop it down to like, 26% of the time or whatever it is on first, it's like by their standards is low, right? <laughs> but they'll play a lot of quarters. Uh, they don't play any cover three, but they'll play a lot of quarters on first down. They'll play some quarter, quarter, half, depending on formation and matchup and all that kind of stuff. Um, but like they, they, they have zone on first down so that everybody has eyes on the run. Cause that's still quote unquote, a running down for a lot of teams, <laughs> unless it's a very, very pass heavy team. Uh, but like they, they'll play zone uh, on first down specifically play the run. And so if you are going to get any sort of zone beater, that's probably the only time you can really call it because they're going to be in man the entire rest of the game. Um, one thing I am really curious about, though, specifically for first down when they are in zone is how is play action going to work for the Chargers in this game? Because if you're looking at uh, if you're looking at play action against the Chiefs, they typically are, if I recall correctly, they were like eighth in terms of uh, yards per attempt allowed against play action, specifically, specifically on first down, which I know sounds like the most hyper niche stat ever. Um, <laughs> while at the same time, their average depth of tackle against the run on first down is very high. And I mean that in a bad way. Like their average depth of tackle is four and a half yards past the line of scrimmage. That's when they make contact on first down runs. So their linebackers are not super aggressive against the run in all of these zone coverages. It's it's more so they're playing the pass first. You know, they're gonna wait for these crossing routes. They're gonna they're gonna uh get depth and undercut all these dig routes. We saw Nick Bolton undercut a dig route. Uh, either a week or a week or two ago, like all these linebackers get a ton of depth and they play the pass first and they're not super aggressive against the run. And so when they do make tackles against the run on first down, it's, it's for a pretty significant chunk of yardage. Right. Um, 
all that to say, I'm curious if the Chargers are going to lean into that and call some play-action shot plays on first down, remind them of that, keep them backing off, keep them playing these crossing routes, keep them getting depth against digs, and then you just start running on first down because they're not going to be super aggressive against it. And I I think that might be the only way that the Chargers can really kind of control this game. Because A, you want to keep Mahomes off the field. And B, you want to make it so that you're not just relying on Herbert and Keenan Allen making ridiculous plays against man coverage all day. Like, you have to be able to run the ball in first down. So that's what I would do. I know, long way to go for a short drink of water. Call play action. Just a couple shot plays early in the game. Get the linebackers cognizant of it. And then just mash it down their throat as much as you possibly can. And hope that works. Short of that, I don't know about this one. Not a great matchup. Yeah, yeah I'm going to read the last thing in my notes first and then work backwards because we, we got issues. Yeah. We got problems. <laughs> Neither option looks great for the Chargers right now. And that's the last thing. The way I got there, similar to yours, and you were in the stands for this, so I'll ask you this, because on TV, from the TV angle, it certainly looked like the Chargers ran a bunch of play action, but they also, like, screwed it up horribly. They didn't seem like they were super committed to it. There was a lot of half-assed, like, oh, yeah, I'm waving the ball at my running back but everybody knows i'm not handing it off there was some late stuff there was stuff to the wrong side like there was play action on you know uh, quick throws to the outside so again what what are you sucking up the linebacker for he's not in the play anyway like yeah they play they you know technically they ran a lot of play action but as i looked at it in terms of like execution and effectiveness i was like that looks looks like they really don't love that. They're just doing it because the teacher told them to. Beyond uh, the questions that we have about procedure, though, uh, which feels uh, feels like an unfortunately <laughs> common theme here. Uh, beyond all that, though, looking at everything else for this office, off offense, not office. I don't know. Another day at the office. Yeah, we're, we're working our way through it. Beyond Herbert's Herbert's got to have a better day at the office. That's that's the only thing is he's he's been amazing, but not consistent. And that makes it super frustrating. And I know it's super frustrating for Chargers fans. It was frustrating you while you're in the stands. He'll make the highlight throw to an impossible window on one play and then he'll miss two layups in a row. Yeah, he just airball him and he's got to be better. We know it's in there. He's got an amazing arm. He can play with touch. He had some amazing evasions of rushes where he got throws off at weird arm angles. He can do everything he needs to do as a top-level quarterback, but he doesn't do it consistently enough, and that means drives falter, points don't get put on the board. And typically, if that was the case, you'd kind of take some pressure off him by leaning on Eckler because Eckler is back. Well, Eckler's rushing debut after the injury was a giant thud, 1.9 yards per, like... So the whole like, oh, you don't need to run to run play action fakes. Well, I sure hope not because they ran a lot of play action fakes and their run wasn't threatening anybody. He's Eckler's got to be better in the ground game. He was good as a receiver. He's always good as a receiver. But that ground game has to heat up to give the Chargers any chance, which is how we get all the way back around to my initial note of 
neither option looks very good for the Chargers right now because Herbert's not playing consistently. Eckler's not you know, ripping off runs on the ground, and they're going up against a good team. Good luck. The only option that does look good to me is just Keenan uh, in terms of who's actually going to get theirs in this game. That's why I took him for the underdog slip. He's only at 78 and a half receiving. Uh, well, I say only. That's a- yeah, I was going <laughs> to say against that secondary. Eh, I guess comparing line. it to Cup and Tyreek, they're each like almost a hundred. You know, it's quote unquote yeah. only. But considering how man heavy this defense is and how good Keenan is against man, if anybody's going to do well in this one, it's probably Keenan. So I felt comfortable going higher on him. I don't feel comfortable in any other Chargers in this one. Like, I really don't. So this is going to have to be the Keenan Allen show. We'll see if they can pull it off. Again, it's Chargers Chiefs. Wild shit happens every single time these teams play. But on paper, yeah, this one uh, this one doesn't look too hot. Uh, also, by the way, I took Nick Bolton as the fifth, fifth option on this slip. Nick Bolton at 8. 0.0 tackles plus assists. So whether it's solos or assists, if Bolton hits eight tackles in this game, in addition to Tyreek getting higher than 98 and a half, Goff hitting higher than 241 and a half passing, Cooper Cup hitting higher than 98 and a half receiving, and then of course the Keenan uh, and Bolton numbers. If all five of those hit, we're good to go. But the slip is insured, so we technically only need four, but I really <laughs> would like five because that would pay me like a hundred bucks, but we'll see. I think it's a decent slip, EJ. It's a decent slip. Five out of five. We will hit it at some point this week or this week, this season, this year. I don't know if it'll be this week because there's a couple. I I have the itch. I'm sorry. I I have the little, I have the twitch about a couple of those lines. We'll see which one of them lets us down. But, um, you know, initially it, you know, a lot of tough choices in these games. Again, players on both sides are getting paid. Uh, they all want to do well and picking the one that's going to get the break is, uh, tougher to do sometimes. Reminder, by the way, uh, if you either want to get in on this slip or if you want to fade the entire thing, cause you think, uh, I'm a complete moron, which is completely fair, by the way, you wouldn't be entirely wrong on that. <laughs> Not a bad week. Not a bad strategy. week. Uh, if you use promo code bootleg at the link in the description below, uh, if you use promo code bootleg, they'll match your deposit up to $500. So whatever you put in, it could be five bucks, it could be 10 bucks, or it could be 500. Uh, whatever you want to put in, they will match, which means they're doubling it on the platform. So you get a whole bunch of extra free money to use on anything on the platform that you want, whether it's pickums or fantasy or, uh, see baseball still going right now, NBA hockey, you know, literally whatever you can think of. Uh, and Underdog, of course, is a major sponsor of ours. They, they're they keeping this show running for the next two years, so we appreciate them. And uh, anytime you guys support the sponsors, especially doing something that uh, makes <laughs> watching the Steelers offense slightly more tolerable, uh, it directly benefits us, and we appreciate everybody who already has supported Underdog because that means a lot to us. Um, with that, EJ, let's get to our last game of the day. Thank you once again, Underdog. 49ers-Vikings. And I'm sure there's a bunch of people that are wondering, why is this the fifth game we're talking about? This is a two and four (laughs) Vikings team that's potentially, possibly, maybe going to get absolutely waxed by the 49ers. We'll see. It depends if CMC is playing and, of course, Debo and Trent. It's possible they could all play on Monday. We're still, what, five days away from the game. We don't have a practice report yet. We have no idea if they're going to play. The team is floating out that it's possible. 
or rather team reporters are floating out that's possible. So we'll see. If all of them play, like, yeah, Vikings are toast, <laughs> especially without Justin Jefferson. Even uh, if they don't play, though, hmm. sans Justin Jefferson, I don't think the Vikings have the juice to keep up. Like, this is this is not going to be an even matchup, in my opinion. But I do find it extraordinarily intriguing because of the question about what does Minnesota do if they're two and five and the trade deadline is coming up in a week? What what exactly is going to go down in Minnesota? Is Daniil Hunter gone? Is Kirk somehow gone? Which I can't in my in my head, I can't really think of a destination where you send Kirk. Like maybe maybe if the Jets are desperate. I don't think they are at this point, but maybe if the Jets are desperate, you know, maybe the Raiders, if they're absolutely desperate, you you could you could come up with a bunch of different possible like two percent likely scenarios for Kirk, but I I still think there's a bunch of other pieces with the Vikings that could get moved if if things go south in this game. Cause all of a sudden you're staring at two and five. You're on the outside looking in, not just of the division, but of the playoffs, period. You don't have Justin Jefferson. Kirk is a free agent after this year anyway. You're staring down the, the barrel of a, a not just a top 10 pick, maybe a top five pick. What do you do at that point? It's 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 tough. They've said that Kirk's going to stay with the team for the rest of the year, but we've seen a lot of teams say a lot of things about quarterbacks and whether or not they're going to start, whether or not they're going to stay, whether or not they'll be traded. If you go to two and five, the calculus changes. I would say Daniel Hunter is almost certainly gone, whether or not they keep Kirk for some unknown reason at that point, because he is not part of their future plans. He is not going to be around by the time that team is loaded up. It's not a bad destination if they move him along. I know that a lot of Minnesota faithful would say, oh, no, the sky's falling. We gave up, right? But if think about it. If you end up with a, say, a top five pick, you mm-hmm. get one of the very good quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in this draft, and there are going to be quite a few in this draft. It's looking like a very good quarterback draft. And you put him in with two good tackles, Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, like, Hawkinson, you grab a running back because you we know you can get good running backs later on. It's a good situation. That's O'Connell's a, a good bad, coach. Like it, that's yeah. not a bad spot. Like you could have the very quick reload turnaround scenario. It is it is not the chicken little skies falling scenario that a lot of people think it might be if you move on from Cousins, who, as you mentioned, is going to be a free agent at the end of the year anyway. So it's fascinating from that point of view. The other reason it's the fifth game is, look, folks, we had to pick one. <laughs> we got to talk about a fifth game. Um, 49ers O versus the Vikings D. Look, these are the teams that the 49ers should beat, and they will. Like, I'm with you that it really doesn't matter if those three play. If those three play, the margin of victory is higher, but they're going to beat the Vikings pretty much either way. Vikings blitz a metric shit ton. That's my That's my. <laughs> Your measurement of the day. (laughs) My measurement of the day. Over 60% of their snaps, folks. This is is a silly level of blitzing. And Brock Purdy's passer rating is actually higher when you blitz him. It's just, it doesn't line up for Minnesota. Well, go ahead. Try and heat him up. He's actually going to do better 
So I don't think they'll sit back. It's really not in Flores' DNA. Minnesota calls zero on 20% of their third downs. Like zero is typically like a six or 8% call. on And third that's downs for high like, if it's 8%. Yeah. Like the average, I think is like four yeah. on third down. It's, <laughs> it's something you keep in your pocket to gamble, right? No, they do it one out of five. Like this is, this is way, way above the outlier. So even with those injuries to McCaffrey, Debo Williams, yeah, they could all play whether they play or not, whether some of them play and some of them don't. I expect that the 49ers are going to rally from last week's game and do just fine in this one. And then we will be put in that situation where Minnesota is actually two and five and we'll get to see what happens. What are your thoughts on 49ers offense versus this incredibly blitz happy defense that we said was going to be blitz happy and we're still surprised at how blitz happy it is? I really, really uh, think this is the Brandon IU game because <laughs> in terms of like, oh, all the answers that that you think of for, for how to handle zero, oh, we'll just throw screens or, oh, we'll hit a quick slant or all that kind of stuff. Like, the way that the Vikings run zero in terms of, oh, we're reading the slide and then we're dropping out interior linemen and, you know, they run it the same way that the Patriots do because Brian Flores, right? Um, how <laughs> they run it, it takes away slants. It, it It's really good against the screen game. It, it basically takes, it takes away the possibility of you doing quick throws to beat zero. And so then you kind of have to go deep on them but that being said, if your corners are Byron Murphy and a Caleb Evans against Brandon Ayuk, and the Niners know that the best way schematically to beat their style of zero is to go deep with Brandon Ayuk on Byron Murphy and a Caleb Evans, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go deep with uh, with Brandon Ayuk. So, like that's that's the thing is okay, we're going to motion in George Kittle. And then he's going to be a late add into the protection. So we're going to get even numbers in protection. Brock's going to get the ball out before the eighth add-on rusher can come from depth to get there anyway. So they don't care that there's going to be a free rusher because the free rusher is coming from the next county over. And then you got Evans, who's going to be like flat-footed in no man's land with Brandon Ayuk just throwing up the mail sign right behind him. And like, this is not... This is not a good matchup in so many ways. In so many ways. Like, they don't have the corners to hold up against Ayuk, let alone Debo if Debo plays. And apparently McCaffrey is more of a pain tolerance thing than anything else. They don't have anybody that can cover McCaffrey. Like, neither the safeties nor the linebackers can cover McCaffrey. And, like, I love Pace, but Pace is going to be the one rushing here with all of these blitz zero calls. They're not dropping him into coverage. So... I just, I don't know what, what they're going to do. Like the only way, not the only way, but like the main way that you can beat the 49ers offense is the way that we saw Cleveland do it, where we're playing cover one, but you need the DBs to play cover one. Minnesota doesn't have it. So I guess they'll just die. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what they're <laughs> supposed to do here. I guess I'll just die. And on the other side, it doesn't get a lot better. Normally, this would be the side we were excited about with the Vikings. But look, Justin Jefferson's out. The Vikings are going to have to lean heavily on Addison and Hawkinson. Addison's got a decent chance, I think, of being productive. He's quicker than Niner cornerbacks, but he has to elude press because they, if they get their hands on him, they're going to press the living hell out of him. He's pretty good at that, though. He has a good release game. 
I actually think the Niners are going to lock him down first as the primary threat. They're, he's the one in Justin's absence that they're most worried about. So then it would flip to Hawkinson. They'd pivot. Well, then it's Fred Warner time. Like, again, you go down the list of things for offense and defense that the Vikings might do, and not only does San Francisco have a counter, a lot of times it's better. Than yeah, the, the, the one the thing that, that Minnesota could have counted on was Jefferson, who's not there. Yeah. So, so two and five looks pretty likely. <laughs> I'm going to give a quick hat tip to Christian Darrisaw, the Vikes. Last couple of weeks, he's been wrecking dudes. Like, wrecking somebody and then going and wrecking somebody else on the same play. He's been going off for a couple of weeks. So, you know, even though two and five is very likely for you Vikings fans, take take heart in the fact that Christian Darrisaw is still out there just mashing the snot out of people yeah they have good pieces Mm -hmm. they really do the problem is they don't have enough good pieces like the the depth is just it kind of reminds me remember arizona uh was it three or four years ago when uh, it when and this is more about last year than this year we were looking at we're like man the top 22 is like pretty good yeah, the crust is really nice, but if you break through, you're going to fall under the ice and die. Yeah, it's like, what, what happens when we get to the depth? And then you're like, oh my God, that's not oh, good. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, we're at the depth part now. And they don't they don't have the depth. They really don't. They have the top line, especially on offense, the top line pieces, we love it. Uh, the backups on offense, nope. Don't want any don't want any part of that. So, you know, now that our wide receiver four is now our wide receiver three, uh, okay, uh, and now that you know we we got rid of a whole bunch of corners, and the corners that we have this year might be even worse. Even though we attempted to replace them, they're they're still not performing well. It's just it's a really rough situation for for the Vikings uh, front office to be in, and it sure feels like a rebuild is coming. It sure feels like. Their shot was last year, if I'm being completely blunt about it. Like, it feels like their shot was last year because they just didn't have the depth to to survive going after it again this year, and that's kind of played out. I, I will say uh, the Jefferson injury is, other than Kirk himself, the most devastating injury they could possibly have, specifically for this game because the Niners are a very man-heavy defense just like Kansas City. We're used to them like sitting back and playing cover two because Fred can do whatever he wants in cover two and run the pole and run with receivers deep down the field, all that normal Fred Warner shit. They're not doing that as much this year. They're more leaning into man coverage and quarters and then using using cover two as the side dish on third down, not the entree. Um, and And... Against this style of defense, this is where Justin Jefferson would have really come in handy because how do you play man coverage against Justin Jefferson? You don't. And I, man, I don't know. I, I'm going to watch this game anyway. Like, let's be honest. I'm going to watch this game anyway because I find (laughs) Kirk to be extremely entertaining. And I find the Niners to be extremely entertaining. But whatever... Whatever the spread is for the Niners, I'm probably just going to take that. Like, I don't even care what the number is at this point. This is this is not going to be close. It doesn't feel like it. And in terms of Minnesota, it feels like they 
I don't want to say they ran it back because they made changes, but they they ran back the idea that the offense was going to be quick strike and powerful with Cousins and JJ with a side dish of Hawkinson, toss in Addison, and that would make it, I don't want to say unstoppable, but very difficult to defend. And then we're gonna we're gonna put some points on people, and then Brian Flores is just gonna blitz the living shit out of them. Like that was the game plan. Even you and I over summer were like, "Hey, we think that might work." And then, I mean, <laughs> if it works, it's beautiful. But if one piece of this, again, back to that very thin crust of depth, literally one piece, the most important piece after Kirk, or maybe even in front of Kirk, JJ goes down, and all of a sudden the house of cards is like just shaking in the wind, and everybody's like, "Reload, blow it up!" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's pretty much like." You you spent your watt on one thing, and the one thing is gone, and now everybody's looking around the rest of the corners of the house going, do you realize that we don't, like, have furniture in these rooms? <laughs> like, the front room looks really good, and, like, everything else is empty. And there's no uh, plumbing. Because that's because <laughs> that's where they're at. And it is, it's a tough thing to be staring down the barrel of. We talked about the offense could be reloaded really quickly. They get a good quarterback prospect. Defense, that's a couple of drafts or, you know, a draft and a half and free agency away. They, they, they don't have the balance that some of their competitors in the NFC North have, especially like Detroit. If you're trying to just win your division, even if the offense rebounds, yeah, you can lean on that leg of the stool, but the other leg needs a lot of work. They're going to have to go through a lot of the same growing pains that Seattle just did, you know, where it's like, Hey, we have a veteran quarterback who Russ at the time was good. And nobody would deny that Kirk's good. Kirk is a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're out of money. We're not deep anymore. We whiffed on far too many players. So we don't have any good, cheap talent other than our our, our star power. But it's star power and a bunch of dudes. And especially on defense. Like Seattle, like their defense was thin as all hell. And it took three years to rebuild it. And now Seattle's defense is good again. But it took three years to do that. Like, that's what Minnesota's going to have to do in addition to figuring it out with the young quarterback, which, and who knows who that young quarterback is going to be. So, honestly, those timelines kind of lined up because we we know that rookies, even if they have great rookie years, are not great. Yeah. So, they're not going to be good until year two. And your defenses should be, if Questy makes all the right picks, like, rounding into some kind of form seattle's defense was rounding into form last year they got they got lucky and they were not complete but they were better and that caused a pretty good result threatened you know went to the playoffs whatever and then year three that's your window so that's that's the timeline minnesota fans they gotta they gotta hit the quarterback because of course that's everybody's gotta hit the quarterback and then they gotta invest a bunch on defense and hope that you know jj can hang on and that Addison will be coming up for contract at that point. Like everybody's peaking at the right time. That's the, that's what they want to happen. I will say this though. If they do it right, the window, let's just say they get Drake may, right? Let's just be super sure. optimistic and say it's Caleb Williams against Drake may in the NFC North, right? Cause the bears are going to get sure. Caleb and Vikings get Drake for whatever reason. If they do it right, their window with, Drake or insert rookie quarterback here will be open longer than it ever was with Kirk. If they build it the right way from the studs and they're going to have to do that. They're going to have to take their medicine this year to set up being able to do that. (laughs) 
they don't have any other choice, which is why I think if they go to two and five, we see the studs get revealed more quickly than not. Yeah. Or they should at least, because there's no point in hanging on the extra half a season. Like that doesn't get you any farther. In fact, it gets you farther in the hole. So. Yeah. It's like, why would you, I mean, I understand the coaches and the players want to win. It's their livelihood on the line. This is not about coaches and players. Like they're not going to take, they're not going to take, but the front office's job is to almost uh, in an unemotional way in, in a locker room where there's emotion, the players are emotional about winning. The coaches are emotional about winning. The front office has to be unemotional about this and realize, realize what has to be done. So Daniil, thank you for your service. Yeah. Enjoy whatever they, team they, wants to give you whatever they, you want. Like they've got a perfect blueprint. Like Ryan Poles just did this in Chicago a year and a half ago. And he was unemotional about it. He tore out everything that Pace had, to. had to had to had to. And they wouldn't be in a position where they had all the free agency dollars and, you know, have this stack of draft picks now and everything else. You don't get there without doing that. And he did it and he was ruthless about it. And it at least sets the organization up to be able to make those choices. Now we can talk about the wisdom of those choices so far, but at least in terms of capital, it's what you have to do. It's not popular, but it has to be done. We'll see what happens. I mean, we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about the Vikings losing, which naturally means they're going to go out and win. Oh, um, yeah. Kirk's <laughs> going to go on a heater. Addison's going to go for 175 and two touchdowns. Like, like guarantee that's going to happen. But you 100%. know what? I'm willing to come back on this show next week and say, damn, how about them Vikings? We gave, we gave you an exciting game. What are you upset about? Are you not entertained? How about this? If the Vikings win this game, I will open the Monday show, even though we do it at 8 in the morning. I will open the Monday show with a shot of Malort if the Vikings win. Oh, wait, no, Tuesday. Ah, okay. I'll open the Thursday stream with two shots of Malort if the Vikings oh, win this game. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, at least pick something. I'm, I'm putting more. myself on the line for this one, EJ. Okay. I'll, I'll see if I can find some kind of Viking grog or something. Something more enjoyable than Malort. Because I can't find Malort. It's not around here, which I, I feel good about. Consider actually. yourself lucky, man. No, I I know I've had it. It's it's rugged. All, All right, right. Speaking of glasses, we got parting glass. We do. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, competition for top draft spots is going to start heating up right about now. We just talked about it with the Vikings. Looks like Fields is going to miss time with his thumb in Chicago, and they just signed... Trace McSorley, not a move that you make if you are trying to compete. Kyler just got activated, but does he play much? How soon will they shut him back down? He's got his window to come off IR. The Patriots are taking on water at a pretty rapid rate. Max not doing a lot to bail that particular boat, so they're in it. Tannehill misses any time. Titans are solidly in the conversation. Uh, you know, he looks particularly cooked, so... We'll see some of Malik Willis and probably Will Levis too. But uh, again, do they are they satisfied with what's in the cupboard or are they in the conversation? Vikings, we just talked about them. They could be a sort of surprise player in this sweepstakes real quick, depending on what they do. And the super wild card is no idea what the Broncos will do because their situation might be one of the most handcuffed in all of sports with Russ's contract but also possibly one of the most hopeless if you're listening to Brandon Perna and the new, 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 new worst <laughs> game ever. Um, 
like that's that's kind of the field and how it's shaping up right now for the top picks. Now the Panthers will have a top pick, but of course the Bears own it, so I didn't mention them. And that's that's kind of like the top eight or ten jockeying for pole position of of who's going to be at the top of controlling the 2023 draft. But that's all starting right now, and it's going to come into much clearer focus in the next you know again week or two. Just like we said with the Vikings, if they go to two and five, like what happens? So Russ's um, dead cap is eighty five million, yeah, in twenty twenty four. Insane. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. You know who doesn't care about eighty five billion dollars? The Walmart Walmart family. (laughs) That's a Tuesday for them. Like they don't give a shit. Like it's eighty five million. Fine, whatever. Make the bad man go away. Like if they get a shot, uh, also themselves at Caleb or May. Like, what what do you think they care about more? That young quarterback or $85 million? Drake May would make them back $85 million. Like, guarantee it. Like, they don't yeah. care. Like, that's nothing f- to them. It's a fascinating conversation all the way around. Like, all those teams have really interesting angles about being where they're going to be at the end of the season. Uh, my parting glass, speaking of young quarterbacks... Anthony Richardson, uh, as of today, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 18th in the afternoon. Uh, as of today, he is out for the year. They elected to get the shoulder surgery, which is is good. That's good for him. That's that's the best thing for his career is making a full recovery, uh, not not damaging it anymore in a season that, let's be honest, at three and three, was it possible for them to maybe rally and go on a playoff? Run? Yeah, it's possible. They, they could have done it, but like, are they going to win a Super Bowl this year? No. Is it worth ruining his shoulder over potentially? No. Like, don't make the same mistake that you did with Andrew Luck. Don't make the mistakes that the Panthers did with Cam Newton. Just make sure he's healthy. We're on to year two. Okay. So it was a good decision. Now, Gardner Minshew is going to be starting the rest of the year. This mustachioed magician is about to be the greatest tank commander seen in Indianapolis since Curtis Painter over a decade ago, EJ, because <laughs> there is an agenda. There is an agenda that must be carried out, okay? He got eaten alive by Jacksonville. They have to play the Browns this week, best defense in the NFL. Then they got to play the Saints, another great defense. They get a little reprieve with the Panthers and Patriots, but after that, it's the Bucks, Titans, Bengals, Steelers, and Falcons all of which have pass rushes that will absolutely eat Gardner Minshew alive. And you know what? On some level, even if the Colts won't admit it, they're okay with that. Because there is a realistic shot that this team could win two more games the rest of the year and finish at 5-12, and 12, which would put them in top five pick range. Now, there is a number, a jersey number, that has not been used in a very, very long time, number 88. Hasn't been officially retired, but nobody's been allowed to use it. Hakeem Nix, famously, was denied the use of 88 when he came to Indy. They, they gave him 14. They said, no. <laughs> it's Marvin Harrison's number. You can't have 88. Nobody gets 88. You know who would get 88? Marvin yep. Jr., baby. He's coming right. home. The kid is coming back to Indy. The agenda is set. Gardner Minshew's going to carry it out. Marvin Harrison Jr., you are an Indianapolis Colt. And you get your dad's number. 
It's going to happen. He's going to be coached I, by Reggie. Know, it's going to be great. I he <laughs> Reggie's probably known him since he was born. Like probably actually. Yeah. Now that you mentioned it, he yeah, he's he's yeah. probably known him since he was in diapers. Yep. He's not in diapers anymore. No. <laughs> uh, he's putting some DBs in diapers. Uh I don't know if he'll last that long is the only bit. Like Top top five might not do it. You might you might legitimately have to be top three. So Ryan Pace is going to give him a call and be like, "What do you want for him?" <laughs> oh, you do know how to open a wound, Coleman. You do. No, I I think uh, Marvin's going to be a tremendous pro. Yes. I will say this. I've been going through this receiver class. Before we get out of here, I want to give one more note. Uh, I've been going through this receiver class this week, so I was looking at. Um, Really, all the Washington kids. Uh, mm-hmm. I was looking at Malik Neighbors from LSU. I was <laughs> looking at, oh God, who else is out there? The Oregon kid. Um, yep, Troy name, Franklin. Troy Franklin, who's amazing. Obviously, Keon Coleman, really all, all the Florida State kids. Uh, both of the te- like Xavier Worthy and Mitchell, like they're both awesome. Even if Indy doesn't get Marvin there's a lot of receivers in this class. It's oh, yeah. a bad year to be a free agent receiver. Like this, this class yeah. is nuts. Leggett. And I mean, there's, it just, the list goes on of tall, talented, fast guys that can catch the ball. And we said this two years ago. And then again, last year, like this isn't going to stop anytime soon. This is, this is the factory that's been created with seven on seven camps that kids go to from the time they're 11, you know, that they've had, 10,000 pass reps by the time they get out of college where, you know, college receivers, even 10, 15 years ago, were lucky to get 2000. Um, it's, it's a different world and these guys are ready to contribute. I mean, I put out a tweet during Washington and Oregon that said, if you took the top three receivers out of this game and <laughs> I said, Romo Dunze from Washington, who's the number one receiver in that game, Troy Franklin, who I believe is obviously a high draft pick and then i said mcmillan uh who had just come back from injury and of course he got injured immediately and went to the sideline and you know polk stepped in and and had a very good game so people are like what's with the polk slander i'm like the fact that there's four in this (laughs) game that nfl teams some nfl teams would trade their top three for those three guys right now there's a handful of nfl teams that oh patriots would for sure patriots would patriots would Panthers probably would. Um, there's a there's a bunch of teams out there uh, outside of you know DJ Moore. The Bears would like there's hmm. those three guys are talented. Those receivers are hitting immediately. We're seeing it every year. Receivers step in as rookies, go over a thousand yards, are a major part of their team's passing offense. There's no more like oh it'll take them a year to get up to speed. Those times are done, and these receiver classes are going to keep coming. And this looks like another one. I was trying to think of like, how, man, how many receivers in that game would be the number two in Buffalo? And I was like, at least two of them. Wow, well, <laughs> Dunes and Franklin, I think, legitimately could could be better than Gabe Davis. McMillan, when he's healthy, could be Polk. I'd probably take Gabe Pol- Davis. Polk is, yeah, Polk's but, probably but about he's where he's good. It, yeah, <laughs> no, thing he's, is, he's, he's good. Be, he's going to be a. He's going to be a third or fourth round wide receiver. He's he's Kendrick Bourne. That's what he is. He's Kendrick Bourne, which is like, again, if your number three receiver on a college team is Kendrick Bourne level, you're fine. Like you're You're good. Great. (laughs) No wonder Penix is throwing for a billion yards. Like, come on now. Yeah. 
So oh. it's it's going to be fun. But we'll talk about all that stuff in draft class when we get to it. Um, quick shout out to Homage for sending us fresh duds. Got my got my first piece of Dolphins gear. You got your Legends of the Hidden Temple t- sweatshirt yeah. because can you tell Homage does in my stuff. 30s? <laughs> yeah, I can. Uh, but Homage does stuff that's outside of their NFL license, which is great. They have a National Parks program, which I've got a sweatshirt from. I'll be debuting that on the pod in a week or two. Um, obviously, we talk about the NFL stuff a lot because of what we do, but um, pop culture, TV references, movie shirts, um, you name it. Go check out Homage. And again, if you use the link in the description, everything you purchase using that link helps support the podcast, helps support our sponsors, helps keep people coming back. And then we get more free duds, which is really, really, really awesome. All right. uh, Two hours into the show, and we only talked about five games in true bootleg fashion. People wonder why we don't talk about every single game every single week, and it's because we Mm. physically do not have time to if it takes us two hours to get through five games. But we hope that you enjoyed the show. We hope that you got value out of this. We hope that you'll come back on Monday when we review these games, or really all the best games from the week, uh, and and try to make sense of it all. We try to do that every single Monday, so I hope you guys join us for that. And then, of course, come back on Thursday for the TNF live stream next week. Thank you once again to Underdog for making this possible. Thank you to Homage. Thank you to all of our sponsors for uh, for funding this content uh, that you're all still somehow here for two hours later. Um, with that, see you next week.